Now, if you have children between the ages of four and six, you may send them to children's worship training where they will learn more about corporate worship, how to participate with each other, be respectful, and attend upon the Word of God. They're also welcome to remain here with you as we turn together to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, and we will be looking at the last chapter. So once you find Matthew, keep going to the right, just until you get to Mark. And we will be looking this morning at Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, the Great Commission. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is of complete authority. The word of the Lord is of complete sufficiency. And the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would open up your word to us. For without the work of your spirit, we would not be able to gain from your word what we ought. Have your spirit illumine our minds and our hearts, that your word might not only be something that we read and digest, but that would be food for our very souls. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. We are now in the second of a three-sermon series on our vision for Christ Church. Before we come to our next book of the Bible, after Easter, we will go to 1 Samuel and learn more about Samuel and Saul and King David. But now we are in the midst of taking our vision statement, which is on the front of your bulletin, and distilling it down into three active phrases, memorable, but also pushing us on to action. Our vision for Christ Church is that we worship God, we make disciples, and we serve the kingdom. Last week we looked at worship, which will be our main focus for all eternity. This week we look at discipleship, which is how we get to eternity. How the Lord Jesus Christ uses His people to bring us to himself, and so that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. So as we look at discipleship this morning, I'd like us to see three things about discipleship from this text. First, we see the foundation of discipleship is in Jesus himself. 
Second, we see the means of discipleship are given to us by the Lord Jesus. And then third, we see the consequences of discipleship that are played out before our very eyes. Foundation, means, and consequences of discipleship. Let's begin then by looking at the foundation of discipleship, and that foundation is Jesus himself. And it begins with the very authority of Jesus. This passage that we have before us is one of the most famous in all of the New Testament. It is often called the Great Commission. And it is a commission because it is an instruction or a command given by Jesus to his people. There is a particular function that Jesus desires his church to perform. And so he gives it to this group to go forward. This commission is called great because it deals with a critical subject that is the expansion of Jesus' kingdom and the making of disciples. This passage teaches us that Jesus is the foundation for the work of the church. It is this passage that gives Christians their marching orders. It tells us why we exist as a church. It tells us what we are to do as a church. And it also tells us how Jesus will judge us as a church. And all of this begins with who Jesus is. Now think about the context to our passage here this morning. The context is that Jesus has called together his disciples to this place in Galilee knowing that he is about to leave. He is about to ascend. He has just risen from the dead, and he gathers together his disciples, and he is going to tell them what they are going to do with the church going forward. Now, notice, Jesus is the one giving the orders. It is not a coincidence that we do not call this the great planning session. Jesus is telling his church what to do. And he begins then with a reminder of his authority. He says in verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, this is a reminder that Jesus has authority in our lives. All authority on earth, in our lives, what we do, the here and the now, all of that authority is given to Jesus. There is no skirting his authority. But also all authority in heaven has been given to Jesus. And so everything that is of eternal consequence, all of that authority has been given to Jesus. And his authority is supreme. All authority has been given to Jesus. This is important for us as we listen to his words. You see, often we have a tendency to try to divide up authorities so that we might avoid them or conquer them. Those of you that have children know exactly what this looks like. Child goes, and it really doesn't matter who. They could ask mom or they could ask dad. They go to mom and they say, can I do this? And mom says, no, we're not going to do that today. And what do they immediately do? They turn and they go to dad. 
conveniently leaving out that they've already asked mom. Dad, can I do this? You see, they're trying to split, to divide and conquer. And that may be true in a family, but it is not true with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ has all authority in His hands. There is no avoiding Jesus. All authority, you see, was given to Jesus by the Father. Jesus tells us this here in our text. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says. Now, he's just repeating what he says often throughout the Gospels, throughout his ministry. In John chapter 3, he says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Again, all authority. In Matthew chapter 11, he says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Again, there is no exception at all. Now, why does Jesus have all authority? Jesus has all authority for two fundamental reasons. First, because of who he is. And second, because of what he has done. Jesus has all authority because of who He is. He is indeed the very God, true God. He is the second person of the Trinity, completely divine, eternally dwelling, co-equally in power and glory with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus has all authority because He is worthy of it, based on who He is in His person. But he's also given all authority because of what he has done. You see, Jesus has performed the work that the Father sent him to perform. He has performed the work to redeem a people. A people who were lost in sin. Who were completely without hope. Who had no opportunity to come to God. But Jesus, by what he did, opened the way to God. Brought his people to the throne of grace. And has brought blessing and mercy. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 2. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now because Jesus did that, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. You see, because of who Jesus is, And what he has done. He has all authority. And he has displayed this authority before us. We should listen to Jesus because we know he has authority. Throughout the Gospels we see that Jesus, for example, has authority over nature. The sea rages and Jesus speaks. And it's stilled. We see that Jesus has all authority over sin. When a paralyzed man is brought to Jesus... He says, your sins have been forgiven. And then when some look at him as if he's just making a statement, he says, what do you think is easier? To say your sins have been forgiven or get up and walk? Rise, get up and walk that you might know your sins are forgiven. Jesus has authority over sin. Jesus has authority over evil. He casts out demons. And Jesus, of course, has authority over death itself. As he tells Lazarus to come forth and as he himself conquers the grave. Throughout all of the Gospels, we see that Jesus has authority. And what this means for you and for me 
is that we must listen to Jesus. He has authority. So what then does Jesus say? Because Jesus has authority, he speaks to us, and when he speaks, he speaks in a command. Now, he is very intentional as he speaks to the disciples. He gathers them in this place. He tells them to meet him here. And then he follows up his statement of authority with a directive. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, the very first thing we observe from this verse is that it is not a suggestion or an option. It is a forceful command. It's an imperative. You can almost hear Jesus' voice in this, can't you? As he speaks, go therefore and make disciples. Actually, it's so clear as a command in English that we can become confused about what Jesus' main focus is in this verse. The very first word that catches our attention is what? Go! Now, this has caused many of us to focus on motion, on action. We say to ourselves, oh, well, don't just sit there. Go and do something. I'm not sure what, but get moving. Go! Jesus said go! And we don't give any real thought as to where we should go, when we should go, or for what purpose we should go. So you see, what we need to do as we look at this verse is understand what Jesus' main emphasis is. And with apologies to all who are still officially on spring break, I'm going to give you a grammar lesson. There are four verbs in this verse. A verb, again, is an active word. It's an action, motion. Go, make, baptize, and teach. And again, we think the main verb here is go because it's first, and it's got an exclamation point after it in our minds. But that's not Jesus' main emphasis. You see, in English... A verb can either be a main verb or a participle. Now, participles in English are easy to spot. They're verbs usually with ing on them. Going, walking, serving. Greek has that as well. And what you need to understand is, in this translation, the main verb is make disciples. The thing Jesus wants you to start with is making disciples, not going. Jesus cares where you go. Jesus cares why you go. Jesus wants you to make disciples. Now, these other verbs, these participles, they're not there for no reason. They're there to help us understand what Jesus wants. Participles help the main verb. So when you say to yourself, what does it mean to make disciples, Jesus? You've got at least three things before you. Jesus says it means to go, it means to baptize, and it means to teach. All of these things help to explain what Jesus means by make disciples. 
Now, it shouldn't surprise us that discipleship is important and at the center of Jesus' last command because it's at the center of the New Testament. The word disciple is used 269 times in the New Testament. That's a lot. 75 times in the book of Matthew alone. Over and over again, there is an emphasis on being a disciple, on discipling others. And so, this is what Jesus wants us to understand. Now, lest we somehow think that making disciples is separate and apart from spreading the gospel, so that we could choose, do we want to be an evangelistic kind of Christian, taking the gospel? Or do we want to be a discipleship kind of Christian, discipling others? The answer is, you must be both. Because you see, Mark's report of this great commission goes like this. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. You see, Matthew and Mark are talking about the same thing. Jesus is saying, go, spread the gospel, make disciples. You spread the gospel by making disciples. You make disciples by bringing the gospel to others. It goes together. Now, even though it is a participle, remember that the word go is there. And so as we make disciples, we are to be active. We are not to sit and wait for things to happen. Again, it is one of the great tragedies of the modern church that somehow we think we reach the world by saying, well, our doors aren't locked. We even advertise on the internet when our worship service is. Anyone who wants to could just come in and learn and hear about the gospel as if those who are lost in darkness and sin will make the first approach to the gospel. As if those who the Bible tells us are enemies of God, hating God because of their sin, will just all of a sudden say, you know, this is a great idea. How about I go to church and maybe I could learn about this gospel? No, that's why Jesus tells you to go. You need to bring the gospel to them. God does the work, but God is telling you how he wants the work done is for you to go to make disciples. Well, what does this look like then? What does this mean to make disciples? Again, the good news is Jesus doesn't leave us to figure it out. He tells us what the means are for making disciples. And the first means that he describes is teaching Discipleship is a lifelong process, and part of teaching is where Jesus begins, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Now, baptism is a sign that someone is set apart for the Lord. And so, when we believe in Jesus Christ, we commit to a life of discipleship. We are set apart And so this includes not only ourselves, but all of our family. Jesus sets apart every aspect of our life to himself. And so Jesus begins this mode of teaching right at the very beginning. Now remember, 
baptizing is one of these participles describing how we make disciples. And what Jesus says is, we make disciples by having them commit to him. By having them be identified with Jesus. And that's at its core what baptism is. It is an identification with Jesus. Now, we take baptism relatively lightly in America. Oh, we have our debates about when someone should be baptized or who should be baptized. But the last time I looked, no one came to me with a deep pastoral conversation saying, Pastor, if I get baptized, I think my uncle is going to kill me. My parents are going to throw me out of the house. I will lose my job. That is what faces believers in the Lord Jesus Christ in Africa, in Asia, in all corners of the world. We are blessed to be free from that form of persecution. But when you look at baptism through that lens, then you see baptism is identifying with Jesus in all of his works and his suffering. When Jesus tells us to make disciples by baptizing, he's also telling us to teach about the very nature of God and who God is. Because, of course, this baptismal formula is to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The three persons, one name. The Trinity found there in kernel form. And we immediately learn that we are in a place and a position of learning rather than controlling. We are the student. We are the disciple. Jesus is the teacher. But Jesus goes on to make it more explicit in verse 20. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, the word here for teaching is related to the word for make disciples, but it is distinct. We get our English word didactic from it. Now, as soon as I say the word didactic, you probably have come up in your mind a picture of a classroom with formal recitations and whiteboards or chalkboards in which someone is teaching you math or Spanish or history. Now, I think that's a good picture to have in your mind with a slight caveat. When the Bible talks about this kind of teaching, it doesn't have to happen in a formal setting. You don't have to be in a classroom with chalk and chalkboards. You could be, but you could also be in a coffee shop talking with someone over a latte. But what is important here is, what is meant by teaching is that there is an intentional transmission of knowledge from one to the other. There is a content to be conveyed. Now, if this is true, and if Jesus has just commanded you as one of his followers to make disciples by teaching, then you must know the content that Jesus has given you. Otherwise, how can you transmit it to others? Jesus has told you what he has done. He has told you who he is, how the world is, what sin is. All of these things come to us from Jesus. And so now we must take this to the world. And what we teach 
is actually more important than just information. Jesus says that we are to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now this word observe is a very interesting word. It means to hold on to, to clutch. So we are called to teach others to hold on to Jesus and what he says. And we are not to pick and choose the things that we are to transmit. This is another problem with the modern church. You ask about a church and people say, oh, yeah, that's the, that's the homeschooling church. Oh, that's the art and jazz church. Oh, that's the videography church. Oh, that's the missions church. That's the Sunday school church. That's the VBS church. And the answer to this is, we are not to be any kind of church. There's nothing wrong with any of those things that I have stated. But they do not define the church. We are not allowed to pick a segment of Jesus' message and say, that is what we are going to focus on. We really think we're good at missions, so we're not going to work very hard on teaching the Bible and memorizing the Bible. No. We're very good at singing and worship, so we're not going to really work on intensive Sunday school and learning. No. You see, Jesus says we are to teach others to observe all that he has commanded. And so we must make every effort to be whole Bible Christians. Not just the New Testament, not just the Gospels, but all of the Scriptures are what we teach. Think about it this way, if you would, through an illustration. Maybe you have watched or read about or seen people exercising. Maybe you even go to the gym. Now, what would you think if you went to the gym and you saw someone working out on the weight machine and they, this man was very, very dedicated to exercise. Every single day he was there for two hours exercising, lifting weights. Only one thing. The only thing he did was lift the weights with his right arm. Now, after a month or two, he's going to have a pretty good right arm. Might even look like Popeye's. But what about his left arm? Not so much. Don't even look at his legs. Right? This is why if you've ever gone on the internet or, or seen any videos of people telling you how you should exercise, they are almost religious about it. You have to have arm day and leg day and back day. You have to make sure you work all of the sections of your body, not just the ones that you like to work. Because otherwise you have what? You have problems. And so that comes to us as we are to teach. We cannot just simply emphasize and focus on the certain things that we like at that moment. We cannot stand on our hobby horses and just bring that to the world. No, Jesus says, teach them all that I have commanded you. The second means of discipleship that Jesus gives to us is living itself. Because you see, Discipleship requires a life commitment from the follower of Jesus. It's not just the whole time of your life. It's actually every area of your life. 
Because Jesus is changing every part of your life to make you more like himself. It's not as if we're just fine at work and we need help at home. It's not as if we struggle intellectually but we have no issues with our hearts. No, Jesus is changing each and every part of our lives. And so, as we think through this, our discipleship must take up the mode of our life, living with others, life on life, experience on experience. How do we know this? Well, isn't Jesus the perfect model for this? How did he disciple, catch it, the disciples? Right? The Bible says, if there's anybody who's the disciple, it's capital T, the disciples. How did Jesus disciple them? He lived with them for years. They followed him around. They lived with him every day. And that provided many instructions as to how they were to live. We used to have this kind of a model for learning a craft. The way you became a plumber was you were an apprentice to a plumber. The way you became an electrician was you became an electrician's apprentice. And you followed them around and you watched what they did and you listened to them when they spoke and you got all of the emphasis so you learned the craft by living it, so to speak. Now, that type of work isn't always glamorous. Sometimes the electrician's apprentice only gets to hold the screwdriver and make sure that the flashlight is steady. Sometimes the plumber's apprentice only gets to mop up the water. But you learn. You are discipled. And this is what we must take in our own discipleship. We must be committed to this. You see, there is a subtle instruction that we gain and give in life discipleship. And this is what the disciples got from Jesus. They were able to, you'll forgive the phrase, it's become a bit too ubiquitous lately. They were able to see Jesus do life. Not just hear from him when he spoke, but to see how he acted, how he reacted to situations, how his knowledge of God's word helped him. And we must be committed to this. If we are to make disciples, it must happen more than an hour a week. We must share our lives with each other. We must be available to those who are newer in the faith. And we must be willing to listen and learn from those who are further advanced in the faith than we are. Jesus has given us this means of discipleship. Knowledge we can pass on and actions that we can imitate. Thirdly, if we understand that Jesus has designed our discipleship and that he equips us to make disciples, then we can look forward to the results that Jesus will bring about. And Jesus gives us a hint at this at the end of this passage. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What this means is that true disciples should be followers of Jesus. They should want to be found with Jesus. 
that is a consequence of true discipleship. We should be following Jesus. We make disciples so that Jesus is glorified in those who follow him. This is what it means to be a disciple. It means to follow Jesus. And this discipleship is then linked with the promise of Jesus. Jesus tells us that he will always be with us, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. To be a disciple is to be one who is always following Jesus and who knows that Jesus will never leave. Now, ironically, this is the goal of our discipleship, isn't it? Because the goal of our discipleship is to be with Jesus forever and ever. This is what we desire. So let me ask you this this morning. As you seek to grow in grace, as you seek to become a more mature Christian, what does that mean for you? Does it mean that you would be smarter? Does it mean that you would be more popular? Or does it instead mean that you want to be more like Jesus? Because that's what a true disciple is like. Finally, we must remember that individual discipleship is a part of the whole of what Jesus is doing. Jesus has come to gather for himself a people, not just persons. He doesn't just treat us individually. He meets with us individually and then gathers them together, gathers us together corporately into his people. Each disciple is not independent of others. We are all a part of Christ's kingdom. Now remember that Jesus is the one who has the authority. Right? Verse 18. That Jesus is the one who sent us out to make disciples. Verse 19. And that Jesus tells us what to teach. Verse 20. So what this means is, if we follow the plan of Jesus, there is no stopping His church. Perhaps this morning you are frustrated with the state of the world. You think the world isn't what it should be. Perhaps you're frustrated with your company or your family. And you have no idea how you can set things right. You think it's totally beyond your power. You sit here and you say, Pastor, what much could we change? Look at us. We all fit in this one room. We don't have an army. We can't pass laws. We're not the heads of state. How could we possibly change the world? Remember the context for our passage. Who met in Galilee? Jesus called together 11 men, his disciples. And he told them to go and make disciples. Who were to go and make disciples. Who were to go and make disciples. I'm sure as those 11 men were standing around that hill in Galilee, they thought it was a very small thing happening. But when we step back and see what Jesus has done through them, it is nothing short of remarkable, is it? We read the book of Acts, we look at the history of the church, and we see how the world has indeed been changed by these men making disciples. Nations have risen up. 
The gospel has gone forward. Peace has been found. Families have been saved. Individual lives have been made better. All of this because they were obedient to Jesus' command to make disciples. Jesus is telling you today, if you want to change the world, follow him and make disciples. That is exactly what we desire to do here at Christ Church. Will you join us in that effort? Taking the gospel of Jesus Christ out beyond these walls to a world that is in desperate need of it. To make disciples for the glory of Jesus Christ and to change the world to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank You that You have given to us this challenge, this word that we are to go out to make disciples, to serve our Lord Jesus Christ, to see His kingdom expand. Equip us, O Lord, by your word and your spirit, for we are weak, but in Jesus we are strong. Bless us as we go. Help us to be faithful and true to your word, to not exclude any portion of it, but to bring to others all that Jesus has commanded. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen.